Well, friends, welcome to worship this morning. My name is Spencer and I'm the pastor. This is certainly not how I envisioned that we would be together today. Um, Schweitzer decided to cancel worship services this weekend because we are um, walking in partnership with the Greene County Springfield um, Health Department. And as they have advised gatherings of over 250 people to cancel and to postpone, we are, we are following that guidelines. We will certainly have more than 250 people on our campus on a given Sunday morning. And so we wanna protect our congregation. We wanna protect our community. We wanna be good citizens and, and walk with our community towards um, the containment of this uh, virus. And so while this is certainly not ideal, I'm glad you're joining with us uh, this morning. We're gonna have a little bit of a worship time together. I've got a message I wanna share with you. Um, we're also gonna share in our 52 stories. I'm gonna invite you to take an offering. We're gonna, um, if we continue this in, in coming weeks, which we have no idea if we will or not, how, how worship will, will look, we'll try to add um, music into upcoming um, Sundays if we're having to do an online experience again. Uh, but this morning, as we're gonna worship together, we're gonna share together in, in the testimony that we've been doing week after week with this 52 stories. We've got a, a testimony to share with you today about how God is at work at Schweitzer Church. And so here's our story for this morning. I was fortunate to be born into a Christian home, so I've had a lot of years of slow growth along this pathway. But I'm so happy to report that God isn't finished with me yet, and He's still molding me. But what I'd really like to talk to you about today is the blessings of being part of a church family. And we are a family. Many of you knew my sweet Roger and our 15-month journey in the pathway of his uh, brain cancer. We were in south southwest Colorado when what we thought was a little dehydration got so bad that we went to the emergency room. A CT scan quickly revealed that he had a mass on his brain. As Roger went into surgery that next Friday, we were surrounded by family and friends from Schweitzer. The prayers, the love, the gentle words were also comforting. We felt like we went in with a team of prayer warriors behind us. Our Schweitzer family who had already been cooking, praying, sending cards, offering words of encouragement, now began to set a schedule so that someone, mostly men, would spend a couple of hours with Roger twice a week so that I was free to run errands, keep appointments, or even have an occasional lunch with friends. This was not a short process. This went on for a year. Roger's kids, my kids, our extended families were all amazing, but I can't emphasize enough the importance of our church family. The simple touch on the arm with, I'm thinking about you, or the cards in the afternoon mail, the constant prayers, the visits, were so important to both of us. I can honestly say that in that 15-month time, we never felt alone. We knew that our God had us in His hands, but His hands, that His hands were being physically extended by each person that shared our journey. My name is Jan Pearson, and this is just the beginning of my story.
I love watching these 52 stories and seeing the, the story of, of Schweitzer Church and how God is at work in our, in our church together. Um, as we go this week, we, we do wanna invite you to, to give towards the work of the church. Uh, it, while we're not meeting physically this Sunday, certainly ministry continues. And so you can give um, by a variety of ways, except for in person this week. Certainly you can mail in an offering. You can give online. In fact, if you've not moved your giving towards online, now would be a great time to do that. Uh, it's an easy access for you, for us, for, for the whole uh, ministry that we do together. Um, this morning, I'm going to share a word with you. We're going to use the the sermon that I'd already prepared for us this weekend, and um, we're going to we're going to do this uh, behind the scenes sermon series. We're going to continue on this because while um, COVID-19 is certainly all over the news today, we're not going to lead just with anxiety. We believe that God had a plan for us beforehand, and we're going to stay on that plan for the message this morning. And so, um, at this time, let's let's uh, see our our bumper video for this week. Hi, my name is Cheryl Mall, and you're watching Behind the Scenes at Schweitzer Church. So recently there was an incident. Apparently I'm not the most encouraging person in the world. I don't care when your goldfish died. I needed the video done yesterday. I don't really get it. But since David literally wrote the book on good communication, they thought it would be best if he and I sat down so he could help me out. Taylor needs all the help he can get. Okay, Taylor, let's role play. Yeah, let's. So uh, I just recently lost my job and it's hard on my fit. Spencer fired you? Are you no. kidding me? Where no, is he? I no, want no, to talk wait, to wait, him. No, no, no. Pretend, role play, it's like acting. Oh. We're just pretending. Well, I'm Practicing. not a very good actor, but we could try. Okay, so we'll pretend like okay. I just lost my job and I'm struggling with that, my family's suffering, and you would say... Man, that's tough. I'm sorry that happened to you. But you know what? I think we can work through this. I think if you believe in yourself, put yourself out there, you're gonna find another job. You're gonna be able to support your family before you know it. Hey, that's pretty good. That's a great place but to But in the stop. meantime, lottery tickets. The more tickets you buy, the bigger your chances are of winning. It's basic math. I don't think that's quite what we're going for. You're right. With don't waste all your money because my cousin, he has a new business opportunity. And if you and two or three other investors will just put in your money a month from now, you'll, you'll have four times as much. Okay. So a pyramid scheme is not what you're wanting to offer people when they're struggling, you know, you're right. life. Worst case scenario, you could just file for bankruptcy. I hear that gets a lot of people out of debt and they can't even tax you. Taylor, I'm not even sure that's legal. All right, so how'd I do? We're gonna need to work on it a little more. So we're on this series behind the scenes. We're look, spending six weeks together uh, looking at uh, really two convictions that, that I have that, that have shaped this series. One, I believe that God has called each one of us to shape and to influence and really to lead the people around us. And so um, I have a, a conviction that God has called all of us to be leaders. And so that's one of the underlying ideas behind this series. And the second one, second conviction that goes with this is that um, leadership comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And so while we sometimes have a tendency to narrow down leadership to um, certain kinds of things, take a narrow view of this, and we think about leadership in terms of the org chart or who's uh, preaching the sermon or, or who's making decisions, but really leadership is this wide um, 
thing that we all do, but it doesn't come in any shape and size. Uh, it comes in, in all kinds of ways that we are able to influence and, and to lead others around us. And so um, I'm, I'm challenging us to, to widen our view of leadership, look at this through the wide lens um, of, of how God has called each one of us and given each of us different opportunities to, to lead those around us. And, and to do this, to look at this, not a narrow view, but a wide view, we are, are spending six weeks looking at six different leaders in the Bible. These are, are usually people, unless you know the Bible really well, these are probably people you've not heard of before. We've talked about Ananias and Lydia so far. These are people you're usually tempted to just read right past because the, the big headliners in the Bible, the Pauls and Peters and Johns and Noahs and Moses and Esthers, those kinds of people get all the, the attention. But but instead of, of looking at the people who are preaching the sermons and, and really leading the charge, we're, we're looking at some people who are more behind the scenes but what they do is making a big difference in the movement of God and the people around them. So week one was Ananias. Um, this last week was, was Lydia. This, this coming week, today, we're going to look at Barnabas. And um, one of the reasons I didn't want to change the sermon today and just preach about coronavirus, well, one, because I think we need to talk about something other than that, but two, because uh, what Barnabas teaches us, I really think is a word that we need to hear right now this week um, about how some of us can be responding to the virus and the outbreak and the pandemic and the anxiety that's all around us. And so I want to introduce you to Barnabas. Uh, we're going to see him in Acts uh, chapter 11. And here's, here's how it goes. This is going to be reading from verse 19 on. If you have your Bibles, we're not going to have notes for you today. So I encourage you to you can pause this. You can get your, your Bible out, um, get on your phone and just follow along with us. So Acts 11, here's verse 19. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution. So this is the early church and the persecution is starting to break out against the early church, one of the first waves of this. So it says, now that those who've been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, Stephen is the first martyr, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among the Jews. So as the first Christians begin to experience persecution, I want you to notice what they're doing. Um, they're, they're spreading out ac across the world. Um, they're, they're getting forced out of their homes, their, their places. It's just, it's a hard time to be a Christian. That's what that verse teaches us. Keep reading here, verse 20. It says, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. I, I love this dynamic. Things are difficult, and uh, as they are spreading out across the world, they are taking the gospel message with them. They're, they're taking this good news message and spreading it as they spread. Verse 21, it says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, Barnabas is a little bit different than Lydia and Ananias in the last few weeks, and that you maybe have heard of Barnabas. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to, to hear of Barnabas. Um, there are churches that are named after Barnabas, unlike Ananias and Lydia. I've never heard of a church named after those two. Um, Barnabas organizations are named after Barnabas. He's a well-known person. There's an organization here in Springfield, Camp Barnabas, that's named after him, a, a special needs camp, a Christian camp for people. My own wife works at, at Camp Barnabas. Um, and so Barnabas may be a bit higher profile than some of the other leaders we're looking at, but Barnabas is still one of those people who is uh, usually overshadowed in the Bible. Usually he's overshadowed by Paul. And um, 
And I want to look at him, though, because when you look at Barnabas, what you see Barnabas in throughout the scripture, you really see him always doing the same thing. He's, he's just consistently him. And you always see him, and he's doing it here in Acts chapter 11, just the same action that uh, makes a big difference in people's lives. And so we saw this, verse 23, Acts 11, verse 23. This is the verse we just read. This is what he's doing. He shows up to Antioch. He's got these brand new believers. And here's what he does. Quote, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So Barnabas does. He encourages them. He, he's, he's an encourager. And you see this um, throughout, really, every time you see Barnabas in the scripture, he's an encourager. In fact, um, his name isn't really Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, when we first meet him, his name is Joseph. And the apostles nickname him Barnabas because that's Hebrew for son of encouragement. That's what the word Barnabas means. He's, he's an encourager. Um, he is constantly speaking these words of encouragement. And his words of encouragement, while you may not think to yourself, ah, encouragement, leadership, it's, it's really this thing that he does consistently that really changes the dynamic of people. Um, in fact, Acts chapter 11, he offers this word of encouragement to people, and here's the result. Verse 24, it says, quote, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas offers encouragement. The result is that more people come to believe in Jesus. This is a real leader. This is somebody who, he's not maybe preaching the sermons, he's not writing the books of the Bible, but because of his simple act of leadership, which for him is encouragement, he is moving the needle in people's lives. Barnabas, to me, is so incredibly inspiring because Barnabas understands this biblical principle that our words have power. Our words have power. For instance, Proverbs chapter 18 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue, we said again, the tongue has the power of life and death. There is this biblical idea that the way we use our words, that it matters. That, that the way we use our words has the potential to build up or the potential to tear down. The way we use our words has the potential to, to shape and to mold and to influence people. And so Barnabas is one of these people that uh, inspires me to think about how am I using my words? Do I use my words to build up or do I use my words to tear down? Let's dig a little bit deeper in this. James um, chapter 3 is a whole chapter that's a clear teaching on the power of our words. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I want to read some of this. And I want to hear you to hear the tone and the directness that James uses when he talks about the power of our words. So James 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is what James says. He says, not many of you should become teachers. And he doesn't mean like classroom educators. He's talking about what I do. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. He says, we all stumble. This is a universal. We all stumble in many ways. And anyone who is never at fault in what they say, I want you to hear this next word, is perfect. I'm going to read that again. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. <clears throat> now that word perfect uh, can be kind of a troubling word. Obviously, it's, you know, nothing is better than perfect. And so James says, if you're able to keep uh, your your, what you say in, in check, that's, that's perfection. Um, the Greek word there, maybe help, maybe help uh, interpret that a little bit better. The Greek word that's been translated here for perfect is the Greek word teleos. Um, and teleos can be translated as perfect. It can also be translated as mature or full or complete. Um, meeting the highest standard is, is one of the ways that it's often 
um, uh, translated. And so, so maybe perfect isn't the best way to say this, but, but James give us, gives us this principle that, um, that the way we use our words is tied to maturity, to spiritual maturity. And I just want you to catch that. There's a direct link between spiritual maturity and how we use our words. In fact, if you want to gauge how are you doing spiritually, one of the things to look at is how are you using your words? And James isn't the only one who says this. Other people say this too. Paul, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this. He says, speaking, it's about words, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature, that's teleos, body of him who is the head that is Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew 15. He says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Or just more bluntly, Jesus says this in Matthew 12. He says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I can't tell you how much I hate that Jesus says that. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of because that makes me wonder about my own heart and what does that say about my heart when my mouth is full of things like complaints? What does that say about my heart when my mouth is full of things like criticism? What does that say about my heart when my mouth is full of gossip or half-truths or mistruths or deceptions? What does that say about my heart when my mouth is full of anxiety and naming all of the things that are going wrong or might go wrong? What does that say about my heart when my mouth is full of these kinds of things? You see, what Barnabas teaches us what James teaches us is that our words therefore matter. And so let's go back on, on James here, and I want to I keep going on this. Um, James 3, cha- chapter 3, verse 3 now, just staying on this few more verses, I want you to catch the tone some more. He says, um, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, um, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. And James is going to go on for the rest of the chapter and, and keep talking about this. We could do a whole sermon series on the power of our tongues that James teaches us here. But, but I just want you to hear that tone and that warning that, that our words are not a small thing. Our, our words, um, they reveal our hearts and what's really within us. And the small thing that we overlook can make a big difference in people's lives. And we have a choice. Do we use this small thing, this power of our words, do we use this to set a forest on fire? Or do we, like Barnabas, use this small thing, the power of our words, to bring a great number of people to the Lord? That's how we use our words. It's, it's a challenging thing. Years ago, I worked at this church um, in Dallas, I was a part-time youth director. I was going to seminary full-time, and I was working part-time in this church. Um, this this part-time youth director job I had, my first Wednesday night there, there were six kids, all of them junior high, all of them girls. So I showed up. I was like, well, this, this is going to be fun. I'm not sure what, what to do now. Um, all my plans for dodgeball kind of went off out the window. But I had this, this youth group. By, by the time I left, there was 28 kids, which I was really proud of because 6 to 28 
not huge numbers, but percentage wise, I was like, wow, that's really good growth. We, we saw there, this church was really, really interesting. It was um, one of the only times in my life I've been a part of a church, I've been other organizations, of course, but not a church that was racially uh, mixed. It was about a third, a third, a third, a third uh, white folks, third black folks, third Hispanic. And you had this really interesting diversity that was part of this local church. And, and um, it, was, it was just really neat to be part of that sort of thing. And when I was there, this church did a very Methodist thing and they got a new pastor. The pastor was there for a while and he got a promotion, moved on to a, a larger church and, and uh, more responsibility. And they brought a new pastor in and the new pastor, I'm not sure how to describe this, this transition, but probably the best word is just train wreck. I mean, it was just awful. Um, just, just an absolute train wreck. I'm, I was 23 at the time. So in other words, I was really smart and I knew a whole lot. And on top of that, I was in graduate school. So I really knew a lot. And because when you're in graduate school, you basically know everything. And so I was in graduate school, I was 23. And uh, my very full of idealism self about how church should be and, and the way that the Christian community should act with one another, like it ran head on into uh, reality with this pastoral transition because it was just such a train wreck. And um, I was basically the only other staff person on this church. There was the senior pastor and myself, um, there's a secretary, but really I was the only other staff person. And, and as we're going through this, this transition, I was, shocked by how the church started to respond to this new pastor and all of the things that were being said um, about this new pastor. And it wasn't that the church people were, were going to talking to her. It was more like they were finding all kinds of ways to talk about her. And so um, I, I had this, this moment where all of a sudden I, I kind of like realized um, there was so much that I didn't actually know. And it was one of those moments where you all your idealism starts to go out the window because you, you're, you're forced with what reality was really like. There was this one Sunday afternoon where um, it was the annual youth garage sale and I was in a Sunday school room setting up like shoes or something in this in a Sunday school room and this woman, a church leader, comes into the room while I'm setting up these uh, shoes or shirts, whatever it was, and, and she comes in behind me and she shuts the door, which red flag right there, why in the world do we need to shut the door? And she comes over to me and she shuts the door and she wants to have a conversation with me. This is a church leader. I mean, really, really respected person. And as she comes up to me and she says, and she lowers her voice. I mean, the door's already closed, but she lowers her voice. And she says, um, earlier today in, in my Sunday school class, you know, we were talking. And she said, we, we don't like what's going on in the church. And I hear that. I'm like, yeah, me either. I don't like what's going on in the church either. We're super divided. Things are going terribly wrong. What are we going to do about it? I love this. Yes, I don't like what's going on either. She said, so we, we were talking in Sunday school today, and, and we, we think it's time to leave. And so we're going to go start a new church, and we want you to be the pastor. I step back from that moment, this kind of crushing, disappointing moment, because I'm thinking to myself, what was the conversation that led you to think that it was a good idea to lead a church split and come talk to the part-time youth director to come lead it? Like, what was that conversation like? What was the bickering and the grumbling and the complaining like that led you to a place where you believed that this was a good decision to come talk to the part-time youth director about a church split? Like, this is the power of words. We, we can build up or we can tear down. We can cause um, joy or we can cause division. We can sow seeds of division or we can sow seeds of, of, of encouragement. Like this is the choice that we have. And, and, and this, this kind of story where people became so self-deceived because of conversations amongst themselves, this kind of story shows up in all kinds of places. 
It shows up in schools and churches. It shows up in workplaces. Some of you work in offices or you work in settings that are so toxic because of the way that people talk about each other. It shows up in families. There's research that shows that the, one of the greatest predictors of divorce is the ratio of positive to negative words that are said amongst a married couple in the midst of conflict. Our words matter. They, they have power. Um, life and death is what the Bible says. They have the power to build up or the power to tear down, which is, which is what makes Barnabas so inspiring to me. Because Barnabas understands this dynamic that the way he uses his words, it matters. It matters. And, and, and it, if you think about his setting, it becomes even more inspiring. Because think about this for a second. Why did Barnabas go to Antioch? He went to Antioch because there were these new believers, and there were new believers because these people had gone to share their faith in Antioch, and they had gone to share their faith in Antioch because they had been forced out of Jerusalem because of persecution. Barnabas shows up because things are difficult. So I don't know what the conversation looked like in Antioch when Barnabas shows up, but I imagine that what he could have done is he could have shown up in Antioch and been like, whew, man, things are rough right now. Things are, things are hard. I'm so glad I got out of Jerusalem. I am not going back there. Like he could have easily shown up to Antioch and started complaining about how everything was going wrong in Jerusalem. The setting is difficult. This is not a positive time for them, but instead he shows up in Antioch and he offers words of encouragement. Now, I don't know what that is. I wish the Bible had it laid out. What were the things he says? What were the kinds of encouragement he had? I, I don't know what it looks like. I, I would imagine that um, some of his encouragement probably included some, some pretty honest, straight talk. I, I, I imagine it probably, you know, owned some of the problems that they're facing, some of the difficulties that they had, but, but it didn't end there because that's not what encouragement does. Encouragement doesn't just end with, with, what's, with what's wrong. It's, it's not a misery loves company kind of thing, but rather what encouragement does is it, is it takes your straight talk, your honest talk, you're naming the real problems that you have, and it puts it and it reorients that towards hope and towards faith. And I really probably that, think that's what Barnabas does, is he's reorienting them towards, towards faith and towards, and towards hope that, that yes, things, things are difficult. In Jerusalem, there's persecution, but God is still faithful. Right? It's, it's reorienting our conversation back towards the reason why we can, we can have hope. Yeah, there's danger, but, but you can trust the Lord. Yeah, yeah, things are, things are difficult, but God's not going to let you down. This is what encouragement does, is it, is it takes what's honestly going on in the world and it reorients you back towards faith. Encouragement is faith-filled, faith-directed, um, faith-focused kind of talk, which, friends, this is what our world needs right now. We need some people who aren't going to fill their mouths and their words with anxious, all of the problems, all of the complaints, all of the, the things that aren't going right. And there's a lot that's not going right right now. This has been an incredibly difficult week. But what our world needs right now are some people who will take those honest things that are happening and reorient that back towards faith, back towards hope back towards the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Because here's some straight talk. This week has been hard. There's all kinds of reasons to be anxious. There's all kinds of reasons to be stressed out. There's all kinds of um, unknowns and things we can't control. But you know what? God is still sovereign. God is still with us. 
God is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is still the Alpha and the Omega. And even in weeks where we have to do church online because uh, of a virus that's spreading across the world and putting many people in danger, you know what, though? The Lord is still our shepherd. And, and even in times where we have to have be socially distanced from one another and, and, and have these, these questions about what could happen, you know what? Um, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's still true. This is the power of encouragement is it, is it takes what's, what's going on in the world around us, in our life, and it reorients us back towards faith back towards hope and back towards the Lord. This is what our world needs right now. This is why I wanted to stay on this content of this this message because our world needs some people who understand the power of their words. They need some people um, who understand the power of encouragement and what, what it is that we can do and how we can lead with the power of our words. This is what encouragement does is it, is it reorients us back towards faith. And when you come across somebody who's discouraged, somebody who's struggling and stressed out, and you can, you can reorient them back towards faith and hope. It's like giving them cold water on a hot day. You are offering them um, something more than their anxiety and their stress and their fear. You're, you're offering leadership. The Bible takes this, this call of encouragement and how we use our words seriously. And, and I hope that you will be somebody who decides to use your words to build up and not tear down. So I want to close here, and I just want to read to you some, some more from the Scripture, because encouragement, it's not a small thing. This is something you see throughout the Scripture, and I want you to hear just some words of encouragement about how powerful your words um, can be to make a difference. This is Hebrews chapter 3. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider how we must spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Proverbs chapter 12, anxiety weighs down on the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. 1 Thessalonians 4, therefore encourage one another with these words. Friends, our world right now, it needs some leaders who understand the power of our words. Will you be the kind of person who chooses to use your words to build up and not tear down? Now, as we close today, um, we're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer together. I know this is strange to do over the internet, but um, our mayor of Springfield, as well as the president, have asked churches to pray today. And so we want to pray um, for those who are in the medical field. We want to pray for those um, who are sick. We want to pray for the containment of this virus. And we want to pray um, for God to move. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time here as we close, and we're just going to pray over these things, um, name them before the Lord, and, uh, and just give them to God as we trust in Him because He is sovereign. So let's pray. And so Father, today um, there is much to be anxious about. There are all kinds of things that we can't control. Uh, there are neighbors and friends and families who feel the stress and the anxiety. And um, Lord, would you give us the clarity of, of mind and heart, the courage to speak words of encouragement, to let our words be full of, of goodness and faithfulness and hope, 
to help reorient people back towards you and back towards hope and back towards faith. We do pray today for this um, containment of this virus. And we pray, Father, that as we um, self-distance and, and as more and more people are, are quarantined and, and stay away, Lord, I want to pray that just miraculously you would be, we would begin to see these numbers drop dramatically. And so, Father, we want to pray um, for the containment of this virus. We, we, we pray for our government leaders, that they would have wisdom to, um, to lead us, not in, in anxiety, but to lead us with caution and to lead us with grace as, as we go forward. Help us to to um, to be calm about uh, this this situation, this this virus, and that we might respond uh, in ways that are faithful to you. I, I pray for uh, medical leaders, medical professionals, those who are on the front lines of this. Would you keep doctors and nurses and technicians safe um, as they interact with those who are sick, and that may we see this virus begin um, to to slow. And, and finally come to an end. And so God, we wanna put our faith and our hope in you today. Be with us and guide us and let us be encouraged that you are the Lord, that you are God, that you are King, and that we can trust you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray, amen. And so friends, I hope that next week we are able to be together. We don't know if that will be the case or not. Stay tuned on Facebook, email. We will be communicating to you about what's next and when we can gather again. But let us uh, use our words wisely. Have a great week. God bless you. Amen.